Welcome to The Mom Feed, a podcast about the transition into motherhood. I'm Lauren Lobley, also known as Mom, Mommy, and Mom, to two young kids, Madison and Liam. When a woman becomes a mother, she experiences the most neurobiological changes in her life. This transitional period is called matricense. Learning about this helped my journey into motherhood make so much more sense, and I want you to feel the same way. So, if you are a soon-to-be mom, new mom, or already in the thick of motherhood, this podcast is for you. Join me and my guests each week as we tackle various topics in and around life as a mother. Ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to The Mom Feed. Happy Thanksgiving if you're listening in the U.S. and happy Thursday for all of you listening outside of the U.S. As I promised last week, this week I am launching my very first solo episode and short story. What that means is that I'm about to read a short story that I wrote about motherhood. I had the opportunity to participate in a private podcast accelerator program with the hosts of the Almost 30 podcast, Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek, and they encouraged me to do this very episode. Now, I'm very proud of the information from all of the wonderfully knowledgeable and talented guests who I have had the pleasure of interviewing over the course of these last few months, and I am excited to continue doing so and bringing you more of those episodes. I also happen to be a writer, and I love to write about various things in life, including motherhood. Until now, the stories I wrote were either posted on my personal blog, Delectable You, and recently they just kind of sit tucked away in my Google folders, just kind of sitting there waiting for someone to bring them to life. And so from now on, I am going to give those stories the spotlight, not every week, but at least once a month and possibly every other week, depending on what you all want. Because let's face it, I do this podcast to serve you and to enhance your lives as moms. So if you don't like the stories, I won't keep reading them. But if you do, I will. So depending on how well it's received, what you'll find here at the Mom Feed Podcast moving forward is a mix of interview-based episodes around various topics like we've already done, as well as self-authored stories about motherhood for your listening pleasure. In both scenarios, my goal is to be a resource for you and a safe space for you to hear about the various aspects of motherhood, some of which you may not want to voice out loud. I would love your feedback, so please listen with discerning ears all the way to the end, and I'll tell you how to share that feedback with me on the other side of this episode. Also, before we get to this show, I just want to direct your attention to the shop page of the MomFeed website, where I have begun to curate some of my favorite brands that you can try for yourself and your family at a discount. One such brand is Just Thrive Health. It's the company I get my probiotics from for both myself and my kids, and it just so happens that today through midnight on Sunday, November 29th, you can get any of their products for 25% off with the code THEMOMFEED25. That's all lowercase letters. This is huge because my normal discount is for 10% off. So if you've been wanting to try an amazing spore-based probiotic or prebiotic for your family, now is the time. Just Thrive Health also has other gut health products, including a product called Gluten Away that can help you digest gluten for those times where you slip and have a slice or maybe an entire loaf of bread. I'm not judging. And now your gut doesn't have to judge or suffer either. 
So spread the word to your friends and family and do not miss this rare sale. I notice a huge difference in my digestion when I use their probiotics and same goes for my children. I just sprinkle it on their food and I have the peace of mind and knowing I've taken care of their gut health each day, even if they eat nothing but chocolate and cake for the rest of the day. Okay, let's get to some real talk about motherhood. Hey mamas, I don't know about you, but I had many ideas of what I thought motherhood was going to be like before I became a mom. This story was inspired by some of those ideas in comparison with my reality. I hope you enjoy it. Dear motherhood, please forgive me for I have sinned. It has been four and a half years since you and I were introduced. Actually, four years, nine months, and seven days. But who's counting? And how rude of me I've never written to you until now. I always wanted to meet you. There's a joke in my family that I was born with pearls on, ready to be an adult. Always wanting to be one, in fact, and always wanting to be a mother. And I tried my darndest to mother anyone and everyone around me, no matter how much older than me they may have been. I just wanted a mother so badly. I would get so annoyed anytime anyone tried to put me at the kids' table at a grown-up party. I wanted to rule the children, to boss them around, not to be among them, their mere peer. No, that was not for me. I craved the too mature for my age conversations at the adult table that I didn't understand. And I fought so hard to sit at that table. Anytime I'd learn about a kid's table at a party, my mood would grow instantly sour. My face would morph into a scowl and my arms would cross tightly over my chest. Having spent so much of my time wishing I were an adult and wishing I could just be a mother, I never really spent much time actually preparing for the job. I just sort of assumed I would be good at it. Gosh, I wish I would have had the foresight as a child to have bottled up some of that confidence for me to use as an adult. I guess I never thought I'd lose it. Or rather, I wasn't aware that I even possessed it in the first place. It was just a way of being that I think all children possess. I wonder if I can conjure it up now, because clearly it once existed within me, that self-assuredness that I falsely assumed would follow me into adulthood. Interestingly, in my 20s, I was told there was a strong possibility I wouldn't be able to ever have children. I had contracted some infection that my OBGYN and I were never quite able to identify, but that finally went away after trying three different rounds of antibiotics. How I got the infection is a story for another time, or maybe not. Maybe we'll just leave that right there. You can probably use your imagination. Oh, well, there was a pretty significant infection in your fallopian tubes, my OBGYN told me nonchalantly. I'm not sure you're ever going to be able to have kids. I was sitting in her office. I was 21. I can still see the room. I can see where I was uncomfortably sitting. Well, not sitting, but more half laying down, half sitting. My legs splayed open with a cloth cover over my thighs, my butt cheeks sticking to that paper on the table, and my OBGYN sitting with her disapproving face at the end of the table in between my splayed open legs. The fluorescent lights of the office added to the sterile smell and feel of the entire situation. As I was laying on the table, I glanced over at the photos on the wall to my left. Photos that were framed of my OB and her children throughout the years. Then I glanced back at her. The information hit me like a ton of bricks, but looking back on it now, I think I knew she was wrong. Because 
Though I felt the weight of her words as she delivered them, I also didn't panic. Once the shock wore off, I just kind of took in the information and decided it wasn't for me. Is there a way to test it? I asked her. No, you'll just know when you start trying to have kids, she unhelpfully responded as she rolled her stool away from the table, took off her gloves, and expected me to just know the visit was over and I could get dressed now and leave her office. Thank you very much. She also happened to be my mother's OBGYN, so I'm sure I wasn't wrong in detecting some serious disapproval in her voice. She knew she couldn't tell my mother because of the whole patient confidentiality thing, so I guess she decided to give me the disapproving mom tone herself. What she didn't know is that I was already one of the most responsible, terrified to disappoint my parents or anyone with any kind of authority, rare 20-year-olds, so she needn't have worried about using that voice with me. I was already judging myself enough. I left the appointment that day feeling, well, I don't know, nothing, honestly, because I knew she was wrong. There was that smidgen of confidence from my childhood poking its head into that moment, so sure of itself that I didn't find any reason to panic. But maybe I was also relieved, because if she was right, then I would have to redesign my entire future, and maybe that wasn't a bad thing either. When I met my now husband, Ted, some 11 years ago, once it looked like things were getting serious, I figured I had a responsibility to tell him what my OB had told me some six years prior to that. So one night I said, I may not be able to have children. I just thought you should know and because I know how badly you want them. He did not seem phased by the information in the slightest. And now that I'm thinking of it, he took the information kind of the same way that I had initially taken it too, flippantly, as casually as if someone had been ordering a coffee. I think that if a soul wants to find its way into the world, it will find a way, he said. He wasn't worried about it, so neither was I. We went about our relationship. We eventually got married, decided on when we would start trying, and then we did, except we didn't. Because when it came to start trying for our first child, I was not ready. I don't know if it was that I wasn't ready to be proven wrong or right, or if I just wasn't ready to give my life over to another human being yet. I didn't get clear on the why. I just knew it wasn't time. So we waited a little longer until we didn't. When we finally decided to start trying, I still wasn't ready, but I wasn't nervous either. I think I may have actually thought it wasn't going to happen because after the first time we tried, we then went off on a retreat to Peru for two weeks. My period was two weeks late, and that wasn't really out of the ordinary for me, so I didn't think anything of it. On the last day of our trip, my period still hadn't arrived. We were out of protein bars and all of our snacks, and the proprietors of the five-star hotel we were staying at in Cusco had delivered to our room a beautiful cheese plate right before dinner. I was starving, and even though I don't eat cheese, and I had been to the market earlier that day and smelled the intensity of all the stinky cheese wheels hanging outside as we walked through the aisles and vowed not to ever eat any cheese from here, I reasoned, it's a five-star hotel. Surely the cheese was safe to eat. I reasoned incorrectly, and that reason was interrupted at 3 o'clock the next morning by some activities that I will refrain from giving you the details about. Suffice it to say that I had been poisoned by the cheese, and my body was revolting. Unfortunately, it was our travel day back to the U.S. 
I was so nauseous I could barely move. You're pregnant, my friend Jamie said to me at breakfast that day when I was still green with nausea and so sad that I wouldn't be able to partake in the beautiful breakfast buffet laid out before me. One thing you should know about me is this. I love breakfast and I love buffets. Combine the two and you've effectively just made most of my dreams come true. Impossible, I told her, and I meant it. Even though we had tried to get pregnant and even though I was now four weeks late for my period, I was a thousand percent sure that I was not, in fact, pregnant. I spent the next 24 hours being so incredibly nauseous on account of the bad cheese, still refusing to even entertain the idea of being pregnant. The flight home was brutal. Actually, it was two flights. And the final flight was made worse by the faulty decision of the girls in the row behind me to paint their nails. Any smell sent a new wave of nausea pulsing through me, and the nail polish smell took me over the edge. Once we finally landed and got our car, we were making good time on the way home from LAX until we hit a dead stop. There was an accident on the PCH, which happened to be our only way home, so it took us three painful hours to get back from the airport. When we finally, finally got home, I was still nauseous. I was also incredibly smelly from the travel, so I went upstairs to our bathroom and ran the shower. I had an old pregnancy test in the cupboard under the sink from a scare a few years before. I decided to pee on it just in case, really and truly honestly not expecting it to be positive. I peed on the stick, I got on my travel clothes, and glanced at the stick on my way into the shower. Hmm, was all I could muster when I saw a very prominent line crossed over by a very weak-looking but clearly a line over top of that strong one forming an intersection. I looked at the directions on the box. It matched what pregnant was supposed to look like. Huh, I said again out loud to no one because my husband was downstairs unpacking in the garage. I took the shower in utter disbelief, staring at nothing in particular, and then beginning to run down the list of activities I had partaken in on the trip to Peru. I started to panic because if I was pregnant, I had had some cocktails on that trip in Peru. Martinis, Pisco Sours, many of them. And oh my gosh, I had food poisoning too. Did that do anything to the baby? Lauren, you cannot be letting an old pregnancy test determine if you're actually pregnant. Please, I thought to myself. I finished showering and walked downstairs with a stick in my hands and into the garage where Ted was. Now, don't panic because I think it's just a false alarm, I said to him. But while I was running the shower, I remembered the pregnancy test I had in the bathroom and I figured, well, I'll just pee on it for fun. And well, do you see a line there? I asked him as I held up the pregnancy test very close to his face. He looked at it. Yes, he said. I took a deep breath. Okay, well, It's possible then that I may be pregnant, but let's not get all excited just yet. I'll wait a few days for my period to come, and then I'll take another test if it doesn't, I said to him. My husband spurned. Okay, he said, and went back to unpacking. While roasting vegetables later that night, which is something we did virtually every day of our lives, I just about took his head off. The smell! I'm going to be sick. Open the windows. Turn on the fan. (sighs) Hmm. Sensitive to smells? 
nah, not pregnant. Well, as you probably guessed, I was wrong. I peed on three more sticks five days later when my period still hadn't come. All of them were positive. Are you surprised? I called the doctor. So, I think I might be pregnant. I guess that means I need to come in? I said to the nurse on the phone. I'm not kidding you. That is what I said, and that is how I said it. Oh, congratulations, the nurse said to me. I wasn't sure who she was talking to. Me? Oh, no, 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 no. No congratulations just yet. We need to make sure this is actually true first. I legitimately refused to believe I was pregnant until I got to the doctor's office later that week. Still no period, of course, but I still didn't believe it either. I went into the office and checked in for my appointment, and the nurse said, congratulations. And I said, uh, don't you need to check that I'm pregnant before saying that? Well, you took a pregnancy test, right? She asked me, confused, because I was also in the OBGYN's office. Well, yes, but it was from the pharmacy, and it was old, and I don't know. Can you just check and make sure? She was confused, but she had me do a urine sample. She came into the room 10 minutes later while I nervously clawed at my purse strap. Congratulations, she said again, kind of mocking me, but also kind of feeling sorry for me. Or maybe not sorry for me, but maybe she sympathized with me in some way. Or maybe I'm reading into that and she and her nurse friends had a big laugh on my account after I left the office that day. I'll never know, and it doesn't matter. I was shocked and not ready for that information. Let's just say that. I knew I was right when my OB told me I couldn't have kids some 10 years prior to this office visit, but I guess there must have still been a tiny bit of doubt that was, well, washed away in that moment. Holy shit was all I could think. I called my husband as I walked out of the hospital and into the hot June sun in the valley. So, we're definitely pregnant, I said to him. Dude, he said to me, because we always used to call each other dude. We're having a baby. We sure are, I remember saying cautiously, still thinking about all that alcohol I had consumed and all that cheese I had eaten that had made me so sick. That was July of 2015. Today is November 26th, 2020, Thanksgiving. I am now two children into motherhood, and it's safe to say that what my little girl thought motherhood would be is nothing like it actually is. And of course it's not, because how could a six-year-old girl know the expansion that is motherhood, the rawness, the complexity, the mixture of heavy and easy, dark and light, joy and despair? She couldn't, but she sure does now. And if I could write a letter to you, motherhood, now, it would read something like this. Dear motherhood, you ask me to be many things I don't yet know how to be. You ask me to do many things I don't yet know how to do. You ask me to feel many things I don't yet know how to feel. Or maybe I do know how to feel them. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that I'm not comfortable with the feelings you ask me to feel. Feelings in motherhood are messy. They aren't straightforward the way they used to be before having children. Okay, well, maybe they weren't straightforward, but mostly they were. Feelings in motherhood are a duality and sometimes even more than that. I'm reminded of the animated film Inside Out from 2015, Ted and I went to see it with our adult friends, some of whom had children, but most of whom did not, including me and Ted at the time, except that I was pregnant and didn't even know it. The movie was about feelings, 
The main characters, joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and anger, are represented inside the head of the protagonist, Riley. The film begins by favoring joy, and by the end of the movie, the feelings get messy. The memories Riley stores aren't just purely fear or anger or sadness. They are joy and fear, joy and anger, happiness and despair. They aren't linear. They are a mess, like life. And it's kind of like grief, too. When somebody dies, the sadness is unbearable. It seems as if the depth of the despair could eat you alive. But in times of grief, if you're very lucky, there is usually also togetherness. Friends and family come to support the person dying or who has passed, and they are there to support the ones they leave behind. In that way, you might look back at a time in your life when you lost someone you loved, and you'll remember the sadness, but you may also remember the joy, the love, the compassion, the great memories that were created because your friends and family dropped everything to come and be with you. I remember times like that when my grandparents died. The family got together. We traveled from Montreal to Toronto, my uncle and cousins from Calgary. We cooked together in my grandmother's kitchen. We ate together. We laughed together. We cried together. And were it not for her death, none of us would have taken the time out of our busy lives to create those memories, memories I still treasure and hold deep in my heart. Dear motherhood, you are a lot like grief in this way. You graced me with a miracle not just once, but twice, and twice I've had to stare at those gifts through sleep-deprived, hormonal eyes. I feel things, many things, all at once, sadness and joy, deep resentment and great pride. I find that the deeper I get into motherhood, the more complex the feelings become. No one memory is purely one emotion, and a lot of the time the emotions are a mixture of good and bad. Becoming a mother represented both a birth and a death. The death of the person I was before I was a mother and the birth of the person I was after I became one. The lessons haven't come easily. I kicked and screamed my way through them the first year of it, in fact. I know you know that. I know you watched me. I know you experienced it with me. And I'm grateful that you didn't judge me for it, but instead sat quietly with a knowing smile, certain that everything would be okay. Dear motherhood, you make me question myself and my soul on a daily basis. You make me question my beliefs, both the conscious and the unconscious ones. You make me pull out the parts and pieces of myself, ask me to look at them, tinker with them, and put them back in an order that makes better sense. You ask me to keep going, even when I'm certain I have nothing left to give. You ask me to make decisions, even though I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. And when it all feels like more than I can bear, you make one of my children look at me in the eyes and smile at me or give me a hug, and you melt my frigid, scared heart into a puddle of love and help me make it to the next moment, the next decision, the next feeling. Dear motherhood, you are a mess, and you are also the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You ask me to accept myself in ways I never had to before. The loose skin, the wrinkles, the extra weight. You ask me to look directly at them, not fearing that they will blind me, but instead hoping and knowing that they will make me stronger, whole. Because you know what I am trying to learn, that none of that matters. What matters is on the inside, and what's on the inside is beautiful, even when it doesn't seem that way by our own societal standards. Dear motherhood, you have taught me about forgiveness, 
how to forgive myself when I've lost it on one of the children on account of not having had a moment to breathe, how to forgive my children when it seems as though they set out each day to torment me with their demands, their steadfast convictions, and the undying strength of their character and loud voices I am proud that they possess. I would honestly have it no other way. I want to raise children who are confident in this way. But sometimes, maybe just sometimes, I would prefer if they were a tad more agreeable to me. That would help. Dear motherhood, you make me see that I am strong, capable, imperfect, and perfectly perfect because of it. You ask me to become a nurse. I say no. Then my daughter almost slices her toe off on a sliding door in my room. Blood gushes everywhere like it might in a horror film. Instead of panicking, a calm washes over me. I ask for Ted to come into the room, calmly. I instruct him on what to do next, calmly. I tend to the wound, calmly. I instruct everyone, calmly. Hey, look at that. I'm a nurse, and a darn good one at that. Just please, oh please, do not ask me to become a surgeon. But if it comes to that, I'll be the best gosh darn ambulance driver you ever did see. Dear motherhood, thank you for the lessons the trials, the tribulations, the trimmings, the trappings. Thank you for revealing my superpower and for reminding me that if I can grow and birth a human, there is no tantrum too big, no shouting match too loud, no injury too great. I and my imperfection can handle it. All of it. Bring it on. But maybe go easy on me today, okay? I know. I know you can't make any guarantees. But hey, a mother can hope and she certainly can ask. And to that six-year-old little me who always dreamed of this life, I ask, was this everything you hoped for and more? She may not have the wisdom to answer that yet, but I in my 37 years do. Yes, little one, it is everything you hoped for and then some. Well, I feel like I just read you a few pages from my diary and I'm not going to lie, I feel very exposed, but... I'm also happy to be able to share this part of me with you because I know you have a similar story or actually many stories within your own experience of motherhood. Let me know what you thought. And if you'd like me to continue doing short stories like this in the future, you can direct message me on Instagram at the mom feed podcast, or you can email me at Lauren at the Honestly, the more honest, the better, because that is the only way I'm going to be able to curate the most wonderful, useful, supportive content for you. Because I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. I just want to serve. So tell me what you need and I will deliver. Also on this Thanksgiving day before Black Friday, don't forget to check out Just Thrive Health Probiotics and their other gut-friendly products. Use code THEMOMFEED, all lowercase, 25 from today through Sunday at midnight for 25% off your order and watch your gut health transform. Okay, that is all she wrote today, mamas. Stick a fork in me. I am done. I think that even goes with the theme of Thanksgiving, but I'm not a turkey. I'm a mom and I have to get back to these kids. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you feel so inclined to do so, rate it and leave a review and share with your mama friends who would benefit most. Thank you so much for your time on this Thanksgiving day. I know how precious it is. Wishing you a beautiful, beautiful Thanksgiving. And in case no one has told you yet today, 
You are amazing. You are doing great. And you've totally got this. I see you. I hear you. And I've got you. Bye for now.